So I uh, have a bit of a confession to make. This is my fifth Christmas in the UK, and please do not tell any Americans, but I love Christmas in the UK way better than in America. You've got so many more kind of Dickens-esque things that we just don't have in America. We don't have crackers. We don't have Christmas cake, Christmas pudding, mince pies. The Queen's speech we definitely do, do not have. I think we fought a war. Anyway, um, so there are things that we do not have that you have, and I love it. However, if there was one thing that Christmas in America has that you don't have here, it would be a proper launch date. I don't know when Christmas starts in the UK, and I don't think anyone else does as well. In here, you've got Chris, people singing Christmas songs in early October, all the way to there'll be some Scrooges among us today that will say, the 21st is too early to put up a Christmas tree. It's still four days till Christmas. So you don't know, but in America, we've got a proper launch because we've got Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is the last Thursday of November, and that Friday launches Christmas. Everyone gets the songs out, the Christmas trees, and everything happens. But because we have a launch date, the shops have come with a clever idea. What they've done is they've taken um, kind of high-quality goods like TVs, and they'll slash the prices so that people flood into their stores and try and buy these these goods. And it's called Black Friday. The idea is because then the stores go from the red into the black because they sell so much. And I've seen this kind of grow over years in America, and for some reason it seems to have been exported. In the last two years, I've seen Black Friday in the UK. And honestly, it sickens me a bit. Black Friday, it makes me a bit ill because it's people fighting over goods, trying to find the right price. And you see on the internet these pictures of people actually coming to blows over television sets. And I think this is so completely opposite of what Christmas should be. To fight for a present for somebody. It makes me think that even in the midst of all these wonderful things we have, we still need to hear the core, clear message of what Christmas is really about. That's why I love that we get to explore John 1.14 today. Because John 1.14 is the measuring mark. It's the basis. It's the backbone of the Christmas message. So today we're going to go and we're going to look through it and we're going to consider um, it kind of point by point. The first is that we want to look at how the Word became flesh. And the second point is we're going to look at how the Word then dwelt among us. Lastly, we're going to consider how this reveals the glory of God. So let's start by taking a look at the Word becoming flesh. So many of you will have around your house symbolisms of the Word becoming flesh. They're called nativity scenes. And I like a good nativity scene, don't get me wrong. I love all the things that are there. I love the wise men. I love the star, the stable, Joseph, Mary, and of course Jesus. The thing is though, a nativity set is just a representation and it's physical Jesus. If we really want to understand the power we have to think not only of the baby Jesus, but who it is that is in that manger. That's the power of the nativity. That's the power of the birth. It is God. It is Word becoming flesh. So who is this God that became flesh? 
Well, let's think about who he is. First of all, God is eternal. He is without beginning. He is without end. He always has been and he always will be. He sees time at once. He is over it. For us in our lives, as we walk through life, the future is hidden to us. We can't see it. It's the unknown, but this this does not exist by God. He is not confined to the constraints of time. He sees it all at once. There's no mysteries in the eyes of God. And yet, He steps out of eternity into time. Coming as, first of all, in the womb of Mary, having to grow and develop, having to go through the process of birth and be a baby who has to learn how to eat and walk and do all the things that we have to learn as humans. This is God in time. What a miracle it is that God would choose to step into time. We also have a God who is self-sufficient. means that God is content within Himself. He is perfect and needs nothing. For us, we need people to give us identity. We need things to happen so we can judge who we are and where we are. But God is completely, 100% sufficient within Himself. He is vast and eternal and stunning and He needs nothing. He is so deep within Himself that He allows Himself to be known and gives of Himself. And that is amazing. And it's even more amazing than to think of this God who has no need to step down again into flesh and become a baby. Babies are so tiny and have so much need. They can do nothing on their own. How does God, how does the frame of a baby hold God? See, this is the miracle. This is God, both eternal and self-sufficient, coming in the form of a baby. This is the Word, eternity, becoming flesh. What a miracle that is. But it begs the question, why would God do this. If God is so big and with one word He can speak galaxies into existence, why would He choose to come this way? Surely He could just say a word and create some stunning palace and come down riding on a four-winged beast from heaven and show everyone that He is God. Why did He come in such a frail way? And then I think the key here is the second point. Because He's come to dwell among us. He's not come to be separate from us. He's come to be among us. And this, I think, as I've reflected on this and looked at this, this is the main point, not only of this Christmas message, but of the entire Bible. If there is one thing that sums up all of it put together... It is God loving us and dwelling among us. Let's think about this. We have God in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, walking among them, being with them face to face, knowing them. And as they sinned, they removed that relationship with God. 
But God wasn't done with humanity. He wanted to dwell among us. So he came down in Exodus. We've been going through this. And he chose the rejected people of Israel. Amongst these Egyptians who were the people of the day inventing algebra and making pyramids and all of this amazing stuff. He chooses not the Egyptians. He chooses the slave people, the rejected. And he says, you are my people. And he raises up a leader and he delivers them from Egypt. And in this desert season that we've been looking at, he develops them. He gives them food and water and protection. He gives them education. He gives them law. He gives them structure of government. But he also comes in with the tabernacle. They take their time and they put together the gold and the jewels and the fine linens. And what comes out is a house for God among His people. And with fire and smoke, He dwells there among them. This is God's plan. But as we continue this theme, we come now to the New Testament where God comes again to His people, but this time it's not with all the fine things. It is with flesh. It's not jewels and gold that encases Him. It is human flesh. Whereas in the tabernacle, He was separate and only the high priest could see Him. Now, saint and sinner alike have direct access to the God of eternity in flesh. That is stunning. That anybody, regardless of who they are, can speak with and know Jesus. I think that is... Amazing. That God would want to be face to face, eye to eye with His creation. Not separated anymore by a veil, but close. And we know that He, even though he, we're speaking of His birth, we look forward already that birth leads up to His death and His resurrection. Where He makes a place where He can remove all of the stain and the sin that separates us and He removes it away, and He allows us to become His children again. And in that place, He creates a home again, but now it's in our hearts. And He's dwelling in each and every one of us. We've got an Eden, we've got a tabernacle, and now we've got Jesus in our own hearts. Continually making this place to be a dwelling among His people. But it doesn't even end there. We look forward now to Revelation where we leave this world and we step into eternity and God again has created a city for us with streets of gold where the purpose is for us to dwell in eternity, to live together with God. From beginning to end, from Eden to Revelation, from the tabernacle to the flesh, God is moving with one point. I love my people and I want to dwell with them. I want to live with them. I want to create home with my creation, my people. This is the heart of God. That He would come in flesh to dwell among us. It's beautiful. So we've got John now. And we've seen in 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John now says, we have seen His glory. This is this third point, the glory of God. And I think that this is not a separate thought. This is John kind of geeking out a little bit about Jesus. He's saying, look, 
Look, I'm telling you that God became flesh. I'm telling you that he dwelt among us. But I'm also telling you that it is an eye account, eyewitness account. I've seen it. I've seen everything he's done. John is saying, I was there when he called us. I was there when he did the miracle of the turning of the water into the wine. I was there at the transfiguration where his glory shone, shone forth. I was there when he spoke with a woman at the well. I was there when he fed people, multitudes. I was there when he worked with people within the religious system of the day. I was also there for his death and his resurrection. I was there. We have seen it. I've seen Jesus. And Jesus, the glory of Jesus, is that he is God in human form. This is God's glory. What he's saying here is this glory, what it is, is it's divine self-disclosure. He's saying, do you want to know God? Do you want to know who He is? Look to Jesus. Jesus is God. We know who God is now. We have a physical seeing it is Jesus. So what does this mean for us? Well, how can we actually, though, now take all of these big thoughts that are, in a sense, bread and butter of Christianity? This isn't new information, I'm telling you. You'll have heard this before. But how does it actually impact us day to day? How does it impact you while you're making your turkey? Or, if you're not making the turkey, pretending to help in the kitchen. How does this impact you? Well, this is how it impacts you. It's simply this. Is that you have to know that you know that you know that you know that God loves you. No matter what is happening in your life, no matter what is going on, God loves you. He has moved heaven and earth to come down to show you His love. Whether you're in the midst of complicated family relationships, God loves you. Whether you feel isolated and Christmas is a difficult time, God loves you. Whether you have loads on and you're in the hustle and bustle of preparation, God loves you. Whatever your situation, whatever you are going through at this moment as you sit here, God loves you. And that is the simple truth of the incarnation. It is God's love for you. And when we encounter that love, when we encounter the real radical love of Jesus, we see ourselves correctly. We see ourselves as loved people. And in that place, it says in the Old Testament, His kindness leads to repentance. In the midst of His love, we can say, God, anything that is not of You, I'm sorry. And our response is, I love You. God's love when we experience it, evokes within us a return of love. And that is that real, authentic relationship going back and forth. God, you loved me. I love you. And what that does is when we encounter this love of God and we give it back, we have an anchor by which this world cannot steer us off course. It's worship of the soul. A deep place of contentment doesn't mean life is easy, but it means we have real place of peace. From that place of peace, from that anchor, we can move out and look at others and say, I have been loved so much. I choose to love you. 
I choose to think about you over myself because I'm content in God's love. Do you see how this is in stark contrast to Black Friday where people are fighting over goods? Jesus came down and He initiated this beautiful thing of God's love, a way for us to know Him so that we could go out and experience His love, love God, and love others. And that is the Christmas message. As simple as it is, that is what this whole Advent and holiday is about. It is about us in relationship with God. Let's pray.